Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Natural Health. Today, I am very excited to have Dr. Rick Kirshner with us. Uh, Rick Kirshner is a retired speaker, author of nine books, filmmaker, and vitalist naturopathic physician. He is co-author of the international bestseller, Dealing with People You Can't Stand, now in its third edition and in 27 languages. He is the past president of the Naturopathic Medical Institute, Medicine Institute. He has worked with some of the world's best-known organizations and businesses from NASA to Starbucks to the U.S. Army and National Guard as well as city, state, and national governments, hospitals, and healthcare conglomerates. His documentary film, How Healthcare Became Sick Care, The True History of Medicine, is available for free viewing on his website, talknatural.com. He lives just across the Long Bridge in Sagal, Idaho, with his wife, one-eyed cat, and five chickens. Welcome, Rick. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Lauren. Yeah, thanks. So tell me a little bit about your journey from naturopathic medicine to speaking worldwide on interpersonal relationships. That's quite a journey. <laughs> it, it has been quite a journey every step of the way. Well, you know, uh, I've been very lucky in my life to have great things happen that open doors for me. And one of the great things that happened was when I was a third-year student at National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, which at the time was the only naturopathic medical school uh, on this uh, continent. Um, Jim Sensenig, Dr. Jim Sensenig, was my academic dean. And one day, I was a a third-year student. uh, He called me to his office. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want you to go on this TV show and represent the school. And I'm like, why me? And he said something to me that really had an impact on me. Uh, he said, nobody else is available. And you know, it turns out that's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it turns out that's a, the main reason why things happen, I think. Anyway, uh, so I went on this show and it was a moderated forum. There were, I think, 70 or 90 invited guests representing different stakeholders in the healthcare community. The uh, program was called Town Hall and it was about uh, alternatives in healthcare. And so there I was representing the school and the guy who, the moderator said, if you have anything you want to say, get your hand up in the first 20 minutes, because I promise you the last 40 minutes, every one of you is going to have something you want to say and we won't have time for you. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, I should get in the queue. So Mm -hmm. I put my hand up. Yeah. He didn't even finish his introduction and cameras were rapidly moving towards me. I blanked out and yet my mouth spoke. I have no idea what I said to this day, Uh, (laughs) but whatever it was, it got the attention of the head of the OBGYN department at the biggest hospital in Portland at the time who relentlessly pursued hiring me for the next three weeks as his physician's assistant, he called a lab at the school and Ed Hoffman Smith would answer the phone and uh, he'd say, you got to take this call. I'm like, I don't want to take this call. I was overwhelmed. You know, we're doing 2,500 sure. hours a semester. Right. I had a baby at home. I, I couldn't handle anything more on my plate. Yeah. And finally, after three weeks, Ed said, you have no choice. You will take this call. So I 
take it. And I was young. I was in my 20s. I was very flippant. Mm -hmm. The guy says, I'd like to make you a job offer. I said, I'm not looking for a job. He said, you haven't heard the offer. I said, that's because I'm not interested. We went back and forth (laughs) like this for a while. And then he said the magic words to me. He said, well, he says, how about if I buy you lunch? And, you know, when you're a student. That's the way to your heart. (laughs) Yeah. I said, can I bring some of my classmates? You got to look out, right? So I brought three friends with me, one of whom was Rick Brinkman, who I wound up writing the book, Dealing with People You Can't Stand With, years later. And we met this guy at a natural foods restaurant in downtown Portland. And he was different. Something about him was very different. You know, he's very well-spoken, very well-dressed. And he, he said, I want you to be my physician's assistant. I said, why would you want that? He said, you're a smart guy, and I can tell you've got a great future, and I think I can be of help to you. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm three years into a medical school program, and I'm not a quitter. I'm going to finish what I started. So I'm really not interested. He said, then let me be your mentor. Wow. I was like, well, what does that involve? He says, I'll give you books to read. I'll send you to training programs and you'll get an education in communication. And I said, and why would I want an education in communication? I want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he said, most doctors make their patients sick by the way they talk to them. And most, and most patients would get better if their doctors would just listen to them. Oh, wow. And, I had a blinding flash of the obvious. I was like, wow, that right there is so profound. So I said, okay. And Rick came with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy did, it, did what he said. He gave us books to read. He sent us to a 21-day residential training program in communication at the University of Santa Cruz. Um, and then advanced trainings. And we did all this kind of stuff. And we felt like we should offer this to our classmates. We should find a way to take what we learn package it so that our classmates could learn it because it seemed like this is the foundation of being a successful doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, we put together a little workshop. We called it the magical nature of communication. I remember the flyer we made for it It, for the price. It was like about $23 because we were really poor business people. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, half of the student body showed up for the first workshop. Oh, that's awesome. And you had to know how to do a magic trick to take the workshop. So people had to do something to get in. (laughs) But, you know, you had people with rope tricks and disappearing hankies and rubber balls that come out of your, all this kind of funny stuff. Yeah. And I will say the first five minutes of that workshop, I was shaking like a leaf. I'm like, I'm not really a speaker. Same reason I blanked out on that TV show. It's not (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But five minutes into it, my nervous system completely calmed down, and suddenly it was just me and my friend Rick sharing information in a really fun way. Mm-hmm. And we had such a great time doing it, and people loved it. When it was over, the people who missed it heard about it. We had great word of mouth. So they said, could you do it again? So we did. Mm-hmm. And then somebody was visiting from Western States Chiropractic. They said, would you come teach it at our school? We're like, yeah, okay. So we went and taught it there. And somebody was had a cousin visiting from the aerospace industry in California. And he said, would you come and teach this to my managers? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is for doctors and medical students. And he said, no, it's not. This is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the doors just started flying open. Rick and I just did it for fun for about four years. And one day we're like, you know, we should make a business out of this because we're yeah. making more money. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. So we created an institute. We offered workshops and classes. And 
1986, uh, somebody told the biggest training company in the world about Rick and Rick, and uh, they reached out to us and invited us to their headquarters, and we went to work for that training company, and they asked uh, him, they, I'm going to keep going until you stop me. But it's they, fine. It's great. <laughs> so they were having a big banquet and nobody knew us at the company except the founders. And yeah. they asked all of their training staff to come wearing uh, a suit and to bring uh, six minutes of their best material. And they were going to film a promotional video. And they had 55 people on their training staff. Mm-hmm. And with now with us included 55 people. And when I heard that they were going to have everybody, all these speakers talk in a row for six minute bits, I was like, that's going to be the worst room on earth to be in. It's going to be so dull, so boring. You're going to hear people stealing each other's stories and joke. Oh my goodness. And then I thought, well, how can we take advantage of this? Mm-hmm. And Rick and I had a conversation about it. We called the company. We said, we want to go last. Okay. The reason we wanted to go last is because, you know, you have two opportunities to make an impression if you, yeah, go, first or if you go last. Right. Uh-huh. So, and we knew nobody else would want to go last. Why would you want to be at the end of that lineup? You'd be sitting there waiting for it to end. We were supposed to be each other's audience. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we wrote two six-minute scripts that were uh, funny. Uh, we thought they were funny. Mm-hmm. And we figured, well, we'll do them together, even though we're supposed to do them separate. Mm-hmm. And but because there's two six minute ones, we'll each take lead on one of them. We're kind of inside the letter of their law. Yeah. And we knocked it out of the park. We came in uh, things you can't do nowadays because they considered too politically incorrect and unwoke. Of course. But back then, <laughs> um, <clears throat> anything goes. You know, we had Don Rickles on TV insulting everybody, so nobody was right. Was, yeah, was that sensitive <laughs> about it. So we put on uh, complete military outfits. Uh, fatigues, Castro hats, fake wigs and fake beards and mirrored sunglasses glued to comedy noses and had cigar had cigars and we walked in with a boombox playing Santana's Oyo Como Va and we're, <laughs> and we're singing over the top of it. Difficult people can be so difficult and we got everybody singing along. Anyway, uh, People loved it. They couldn't believe it. It woke everybody up. The yeah. vice president of the company was weeping in the front row from laughing. So yeah. <laughs> and next thing you know, we got an invitation to create an audio program on how do you deal with difficult people, which was their best-selling training program Great. at the time. Yeah. We done nothing for them. We were total unknowns. Right. Nobody ever forgot what Rick and Rick did at that banquet for years. Yeah. People talked about and we made an audio program with, we put all kinds of humor in it. We had Leave it to Beaver. We had a Star Wars thing in it where the, you know, I, I want those rebels on my desk by morning. And you hear, bones <laughs> you know, we just put all this weird right. stuff in it. We had a Paul, and jo- Paul McCartney and John Lennon having a dialogue using only Beatle lyrics mm-hmm. as a way of illustrating these communication points. And it became a best-selling audio program, sold hundreds of thousands of copies, then they asked us to make a video. We made a three-volume video, sold hundreds of thousands of copies. And then mm-hmm. in the 19, I guess it was 1990, Simon & Schuster asked us if we'd write a book on the subject. That's great. So we, we wrote a manuscript, sent it in. It took them 14 months to return it to us with edits. They took out everything we liked about it. We took mm. back the deal, gave them their money back, oh, shopped wow. it around, went to the second biggest publisher in the world, McGraw-Hill, who got it done in a year's time. And that was dealing with people you can't stand which is now in three editions. It's on iTunes with video and audio in it. It's on Kindle. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So it turned into 
one heck of a career. It took me all over the world. Uh, Doors open for me for all kinds of amazing opportunities. And yet, so you went from there, from being like, you know, all, all about the communication and how to deal with difficult people and speaking all over the world to being the president of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute. Yeah. What was that journey like? How'd you get there? And what's that? In, what's the Institute all about? All right. So when, um, uh, so Jim Sensenig, who, in my opinion, was sort of the George Washington figure of the modern naturopathic profession. Amen. Yes. His hands were in everything. His ideas were in everything. He taught yes. almost all of us. Uh, he knew all the old timers and all the old ways. And so Jim Sensenig reached out to me right about the time I retired. Uh, when I turned 67, I retired. Um, after I'd had kind of a falling out with our national professional association because of what I perceived to be corruption at a very high level. Right. Um, Jim asked me to get involved with the Institute, which was his last act of creation. Mm-hmm. He'd been involved in the founding of the AANP, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. He'd been involved in establishing the CNME, the Council on Naturopathic Medical Education. He had mm-hmm. taught at almost all the schools. He just, you know, he was such a creative being. Yeah. Uh, he was involved in the textbook project, Foundations of, of Naturopathic Medicine Institute. He he was involved in all these things, Institute mm-hmm. for Natural Medicine. Jim was there. Mm-hmm. He founded the NMI, the Naturopathic Medicine Institute, as his last creative act. And the reason he did it was he felt like our profession was drifting so far away from its roots, mm-hmm. from its foundations, from its paradigm that it was it was losing itself and something had to be done. And NMI was uh, established specifically to provide continuing medical education to naturopathic doctors coming out of our schools who knew nothing about our medicine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he asked me to get involved probably because of my communication uh, knowledge. Uh, he wanted me to take on public affairs. So I did. Mm-hmm. So, so I think Jim wanted me to be involved in the public affairs part of NMI because of my communication background, and uh, I was happy to help because I had the same concern about the drift in our profession away from its roots. Mm-hmm. I've felt for a very long time that the world deserves an alternative to this drug and surgery model, reductionist yeah. model of the medical industry, mm-hmm. and I had made a movie in 2015 about the history of medicine, including how we got the sick system that we have, this for-profit system that we have. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jim tagged me and asked me to get involved. So I did. And I, I was active and I participated in everything. And I think people get along with me for whatever reason, pretty well. (laughs) uh, So Jim passed away. uh, As my wife and I were flying to Mexico for our annual vacation, I get a call at seven in the morning from Eli Camp, Dr. Camp, telling me that Jim has passed and asked me if I'd be willing to step into the position. And this was 20, this was in 2019, December. So I wound up being the president of the Institute in 2020, which most people think of as the year from hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or at least it was until 2021. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> at this point, it's just rolling. But Yeah, that's just a year. I gotcha. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So, that's, so- that, that's how I wound up with that. Yeah. So, all right. So you talked about the reductionistic versus the vitalistic concepts. Can you define vitalism for us? 
Yeah, I think I can. So vitalists recognize that there's a healing power of nature that is inherent in living systems and that under the proper conditions, it can be used to restore the sick to health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very different than the whole idea of, you know, we're machines, you reduce everything down to an organ or an organ system, and then you name the problem and throw the specific drug at it. Like you've got a cookbook that says, this happens, do that, this happens, do that. Mm -hmm. Vitalists operate in a different way. We consider health to be a human being's natural state and illness to be an adaptive response to a disturbance in healthy function. So, if somebody's not doing well, there's a disturbance in their system. Mm -hmm. If you treat that disturbance, you can restore people back to health, or or their system can restore them back to health. Mm -hmm. And to that end, we work with patients to achieve six desirable treatment outcomes that we at the NMI called Lindlar's Six Horses, Mm -hmm. uh, named after Henry Lindlar's work, who was one of the seminal people in the early naturopathic profession. Lindlar said that if you do these six things, Mm -hmm. you can help people get their health back. The first thing is to establish natural habits and a natural environment. That if people are, you know, constantly chasing a carrot of some kind or after the brass ring, and they have no time for their home and their family, especially people that love family but spend no time with it or claim they care about their health but don't eat properly or rest mm-hmm. properly, mm-hmm. That when you're, that's unnatural and it's unhealthy. So a good vitalist pays attention to that environment. How do you take care of yourself? What are your processes and patterns? Mm-hmm. Second thing is what we call economizing the vital force. So the V, so the vital force is that animated element that makes us alive instead of dead you know when people pass on the body remains but it doesn't do anything anymore yeah what changed that animating spirit has left Mm -hmm. so we call that the vital force and Mm -hmm. when we say economize it that means that if people are expending energy they're Mm -hmm. leaking energy you want to notice where those leaks are and help the body use that energy for healing. Mm -hmm. That's why I always tell people when they're sick, you know, get on a simple diet or drink water so your body can focus on healing instead of digestion because you're pulling all that blood and all that uh, attention, your your physiologic attention away from where you want it to go, which is into healing. The third uh, horse, Lenoir's third horse would be give the body what it needs. So when people are, uh, not nutritionally uh, adequate, when they are not getting enough sunlight, when they're, you know, to make vitamin D, or when they're not getting enough of a particular mineral, there are downstream consequences of that, because these vitamins and minerals and protein and fats and carbs, all these things serve important functions in our health and wellness and well-being. So you want to give the body what it needs. And that's where a good vitalist really is paying attention to what they can learn about the patient, that individual patient to find out where are the leaks to economize the vital force? What isn't the body getting that it needs in order to restore health? Mm-hmm. The fourth uh, of Lindlar's horses is to Uh, promote elimination of waste without injuring the organism. So, you know, we have all these built-in systems, plumbing systems, if you will, that eliminate waste. And that includes the amunctories. Our skin is an elimination organ. It's huge and it's got a job to do. Mm -hmm. 
So we want to support that function of eliminating waste because if waste builds up in a system, it creates a disturbance and that leads to poor health. Uh, The fifth uh, of these horses is correct mechanical uh, uh, lesions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got a hip out or a, a rib out or your neck isn't aligned properly. Well, that can inhibit nerve function as the chiropractors talk about. Mm -hmm. So we want to restore that. We want to find where something not in alignment and bring it back into alignment Mm -hmm. to correct that mechanical lesion. And then last, but certainly not least, and this to me is maybe, maybe the the most powerful of Lindlar's six horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lindlar said, arouse the individual to the highest level of personal responsibility and self-awareness. Yeah. Now, when you put those things together, mm-hmm. that's a completely different paradigm from the right. reductionist paradigm that the medical industry uses to sell all of those drugs and procedures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you talk about the journey from the history where we actually were looking at how to restore health to where we are now in your movie. So I know I'll link in the show notes to the you know, your website so people can go watch it, but can you give us like a little teaser to the story? <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, it's actually a, one of the great stories of human history is how did we wind up with this medical system all over the world now right. that, uh, basically throws drugs at problems. And when the drugs quit working, cuts off uh, troublesome body parts. How did we wind up with a system like that? Seriously. Uh, So this is an amazing story. And the reason I think this is such an amazing and important story is we're seeing it being played out at an even higher level on planet Earth right now with this uh, stuff about the virus that we're seeing uh, the system that was put in place a hundred years ago, fully expressing itself now in trying to take control over our bodies and the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. So that's the story I was curious about. I decided, and how did our profession wind up on the sidelines? How did the naturopaths who I believe were onto the real keys to health Mm -hmm. sidelined? What's that story? So I went back, I did, probably did a thousand hours of research. Um, I, everything is documented, by the way. I'll, every claim that I make in the movie, I back it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked with Susanna Serenko, who's a wonderful doctor up in Canada. Um, Susanna was the sort of the historian at National mm-hmm. uh, University, and she was managing the library there and all the historical documents there. And she created a series of books called the Hebert Collection. So I decided that I would make her my partner to, un- to get to the root of the story because she knew everything about our early founders. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she and I spent an incredible amount of time talking on the phone, arguing back and forth about how does it work and how do we get there. Mm -hmm. So in the movie, the story that I tell is how was medicine practiced before the 20th century in the United States of America and in Europe? Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, most people used natural medicine all over the world before what happened at the beginning of the 20th century. And also interesting is that our profession, the naturopathic profession, was born at the exact same time that the monopolists set out to take over medicine and convert it to profit. 
Mm-hmm. So here you have these two things emerging in the world at the exact same time, the reductionist system buying up the whole, the whole business of medicine and the nature paths trying to help people get their health back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing story. And if I'm going to make a long story short, I would just say this, a gazillionaire uh, by the name of John D. Rockefeller hired a guy named Gates, big surprise. And <laughs> no relation, though. <laughs> I don't really know. I, I'm thinking probably, but whatever. But they set out to take over how medicine was used. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, uh, Rockefeller had all these investments in oil and oil-related businesses like chemicals and drugs, mm-hmm. and they wanted to switch the medical system so that it focused on those things instead mm-hmm. of on health restoration. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. So I tell that story of how they did it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think everybody that wants to understand what's happening now on a global scale ought to know the story of how we got the sick system in the first place. Now, having said that, I have great respect for any doctor of any type mm-hmm. that uh, works with people to get their health back, right. that, uh, that treats the, Ill, the, the sick, the injured, and the dying. I have yes. nothing but respect for people that care about the human race and seek to serve it. Amen. Yes. My issue is at a higher level. It's with the institutions and the organizations that mm-hmm. have taken over our world and converted it to profiting from human sickness. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's a fantastic movie. We'll definitely link in the show notes to that. I highly recommend all listeners to go check it out. So uh, how, what would you say is your hope and your vision for the future of medicine from where we are now? Where would you like to see us go? Well, I guess it kind of depends on what happens right about now in regards to the uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, if enough people wake up and realize how deserved they are by the existing system, which it has demonstrated that it's not in the business of helping humans when it mm-hmm. tells people, I'm sorry, you didn't get the jab. We're not going to treat you. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that to me is unconscionable. It's such a violation of medical ethics. Mm-hmm. Or when they say, uh, we're going to throw out the Nuremberg Code, which came from, uh, it's like one of the few good things that came out of the Second World War, where people, doctors and nurses who were complicit in the Nazi crimes were held to account for what they did. And now, now they're talking, the head of the EU is like, yeah, we want to get rid of the Nuremberg Code. It really doesn't apply anymore. Well, it does apply. It's the foundation of ethical medicine. Absolutely. So, and we have hospitals laying off frontline workers who were there through the whole early stages of the pandemic because they won't submit to a medical product that has no long-term studies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because it has known risks that have already proven to be way greater than any previous so-called vaccine. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I just think people ought to know how did we get here mm-hmm. so that they can understand what's going on right now, because there's a lot of money in the medical industry. It's Mm -hmm. probably the biggest planetary employer. Mm -hmm. If you include all of its various parts, it's distribution chains and so on. Um, It's where all the investment money is gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the big tech companies are heavily invested from Amazon and Apple and Google, all in Facebook, all invested in pharmaceuticals. Uh, Who is it? uh, That guy from Shark Tank. He's now gone into the drug business and he's Hmm. doing that loss leader thing where you sell drugs very low price to get rid of all your competitors. Then you can back it up wherever you want to take it. Mark Cuban's uh, 
that guy's just gone into the drug business. So it's a big business. It's massive. It's probably the number one industry on the planet, Mm -hmm. the medical industry. And it's a front for, in my opinion, for the drug industry. Mm -hmm. And the drug industry is all about shareholder value, not about human health. Right, right. Absolutely. So what have I not? Oh, yeah, go ahead. So you asked me what's my vision for the future. Yes, uh uh-huh. So and I got I went down. You got, you got sidetracked. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I don't know why I would go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I don't know why either. Everything in our world for the last two years, but anyway. Right. So, if we can come out of this, mm-hmm. I fully expect that every vitalist naturopathic doctor is going to be busy beyond their wildest dreams with all of these people who are trying to get their health back, because if the COVID was a a wake up call for anything, it was that the human race is sick. Mm -hmm. We have an incredible amount of uh, obesity, diabetes, chronic disease on this planet, all these things being managed with drugs that don't solve the problem. They just kind of, if you're lucky, it stabilizes you for a while before you need a higher level of intervention. So we have all these sick people. I believe they're going to be seeking uh, health care rather than sick care mm-hmm. as a result of this whole crisis if we can get out the other side of this mm-hmm. and take the heavy boot of it off of our off of our necks mm-hmm. um, in that world uh, I think our profession uh, for the time being is going to have to uh, it, it's it's I don't see how our profession is going to prosper as a generalization but I see where our vitalist doctors are going to be very busy and they're going to do quite well uh, helping people get their health back. And I think after the passing of this current generation of graduates from our schools who have learned basically how to be um, uh, green uh, allopaths, how to prescribe yeah. drugs for problems, and you know, that seems to be where, where the focus of our schools has gone. I think after this generation has passed, our medicine will come back, roaring back. And if we're lucky, it'll p- become a major player on the world stage because the human race needs and deserves a healthcare system interested in health. Amen. Rather than what a promoting concept. medical <laughs> products. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what have I not asked you that you want to make sure you leave with our audience? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I've had a great life and I'm 72 years old, 72 and a half, I like to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not childish, I'm childlike, but at any go. rate, uh, I've had a great life. I've had incredible opportunities. I've tried to be useful. I've tried to be of service my entire life. I still am working with people for free now because I'm retired. And one of the greatest things in the world is when you don't need to make money from helping people. Absolutely. Uh I love it so much. And I do quite a bit of that. Um, But I have to say, in a time like this where there's so much darkness and so much fear and so much anger and so much division and so much polarization, we, the people, have to find each other's hearts again, and we have to remember to live in service to one another, that, that we all prosper as individuals when we help each other out. Mm-hmm. So uh, I tell people, if you're struggling right now, if you're going through a really hard time, you need to practice the attitude of gratitude. 
That's where you count your blessings when you get up and when you go to bed. Yes. You know, I do this and most of the people I know try to do this, but we all forget sometimes to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's really fundamental to our health and well-being to be grateful for our life, for mm -hmm. the life that's coursing through us, to, to appreciate every breath we take every beat of our heart, every connection we have with another human being. And my vision for the future is that we find each other again, that we find our way back to each other again through gratitude for life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So, yeah, absolutely. So where can people go to learn more about you, Rick? Well, I do have a website. I put it up after one of the big tech platforms, uh, got tired of censoring me and just threw me off. Uh, <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll build another website. And this time I'll make a, I'll put a blog on it and where I can just talk freely and they can't stop me. Mm -hmm. And probably within uh, three weeks of starting my blog, I discovered the Telegram app mm -hmm. where I created a private channel where I can communicate with people that are interested in uh, hearing what I have to say mm -hmm. uh, or what I'm reading and paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And anybody that's interested in that COVID, excuse me, in that uh, private telegram group mm -hmm. is welcome to ask me for an invite. There's a contact form at talknatural.com. Mm -hmm. uh, just say, I love medical freedom and I will send you an invite. Excellent. Fantastic. So I will link in the show notes to your website and people can get all those resources there. Thank you so much for your time, Rick. That's been, this has been fantastic. Super fun to be with you and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you. So please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren Deville. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.